And please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. I'm going to read and preach just one verse this morning, not because of my voice, but because of the verse itself. It is verse 28. Romans 8, 28 is one of the most well-known and well-loved verses in the whole Bible because of the comfort and the hope that it gives to us as the people of God knowing that all things work together for our good in Christ. We face all kinds of things as we go through life in this fallen world, many good things, but also some bad things, some hard things, hurtful things. But God causes all things, both good and bad, to work together for our good. And that can give us comfort, that can give us hope sure we could all use some comfort and hope this morning, and we can find it together in the truth of this verse. So let's pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truths you've revealed to us in this verse, and we pray that you would give us comfort and hope as we consider them together. Thank you that this verse is more than just an inspirational religious quote or saying. It is the truth of God. It is written by you through Paul, the human author, and given to us for us to understand and to believe and to live in light of. So help us now to receive your truth by faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8.28, this is the word of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We're going to look at this verse under the three headings there in your sermon notes. First, we'll consider the phrase, for those who love God. Second, for those who are called according to his purpose, and finally, all things work together for good. Before we look at the first phrase, though, for those who love God, let's not overlook the opening words of the verse. And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, etc. Notice it doesn't say, and we hope that this is the case. It doesn't say, and we think that this is the case. It doesn't say, and we're pretty sure that this is the case. It says we know that this is the case. We're confident, we're sure that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And how do we know? How can we be sure? Well, because the Bible tells us so. We know that this is true because God has told us in his word that this is true. So if you're on the phone with a company and they make you an offer on a product and you're not quite sure about the genuineness of the offer, you might want to get it in writing. You might ask for them to send you the offer in an email or a letter so you can know that it's real, that it's genuine. Well, this promise, this truth... God has given it to us in writing. 
He's written it down in his word. In fact, he's written it in various forms in both Old and New Testaments. And because it is written, therefore, we can know. God has spoken, and we can take him at his word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, with that in mind, let's look at the first main phrase. For those who love God. And let me mention two things about this phrase. First of all, Paul's describing, not prescribing. He's describing, not prescribing. What do I mean by that? He's not prescribing how to get all things to work together for your good. You have to make sure you love God well enough. No, he's describing who all things work together for good for. It's for believers, described as those who love God. So he's not saying, so long as you love God well enough, he'll work all things together for your good. He's saying all things work together for good. For who? For believers, for those who love God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So if you're a believer, if you love God, all things work together for your good. Even if you don't feel like you love God very well, still all things work together for your good. Because God's performance of this promise is not based on your performance. It's based on the performance of Christ and the fact that you are united to Christ. It's not like if your love for God is a C minus, he'll work some things together for your good. And if your love for God is a B, then he'll work, well, more things together for your good. And if your love for God is an A plus, then he'll work all things for your good. No, the phrase for those who love God, again, is not prescribing how to get all things to work together for your good. It's describing who all things work together for good for. It's for believers, not unbelievers. It's for those who love God, even if poorly, not those who hate God. Paul's describing, not prescribing. And so if by God's grace, you are in the category of those who love God, even if you don't think your love for God would get a very good grade, if you're relying on Christ for your salvation, you do love God. You love him sincerely, even if poorly. And you long to love him more. By his grace, you are one of those who love him. And therefore, you are one of those for whom he works all things together for good. Second thing I want to say about this phrase is that it's a reminder of God's grace. It's a reminder of God's grace. We are those who love God now, but that wasn't always the case, was it? Before we were converted, we were haters of God, like it says in Romans chapter 1. Before we were converted, we were opposed to God being our king Before we were converted, we didn't want anyone but king's self. 
sitting on the throne of our hearts. We were lovers of self and lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God, 2 Timothy 3 says. And so the fact that we are described as those who love God is a reminder of God's grace. Because we know that the only reason we love God is because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. So his love is primary. Ours is secondary. He initiates in love. We respond in love, having been changed by his love. Like a full moon shines brightly in the night sky, only because it is basking in the greater light of the sun, so we love only because the love of God has shined in our hearts. We love him now only because he loved us from before the foundation of the world and also at the cross and also at the moment he called us to himself and every moment since. Yes, we are those who love God, but only because we are loved by God. Yes, we love God, but we don't rely on our love for God. We rely on God's love for us. So this phrase, for those who love God, let it stir you to love God more, to be sure. But let it also remind you of God's grace, that he would take lovers of self like us and change us such that we would be called lovers of God. So that's the first key phrase of Romans 8:28, for those who love God. All things work together for good for those who love God, for believers. The second key phrase is actually at the end of the verse, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's consider that phrase now under our second main point. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love God are those who were called by God. Again, we didn't love God before we were converted, but then God called us by his grace and gave us new hearts that now love him. What does it mean that God called us? Well, Paul's referring here in this verse to the doctrine of effectual calling, the biblical teaching on effectual calling, which is where God calls us to himself in salvation, not just by the external call of the gospel when someone shares the gospel with us, but also by the internal call of the Holy Spirit who regenerates our hearts and enables us to respond to the external call in repentance and faith for salvation. Commentator Thomas Schreiner put it this way, it is not merely an invitation that human beings can reject, but it is a summons that overcomes human resistance and effectually persuades them to say yes to God. So the external call is an invitation The internal call is a summons, an effectual, effective summons that persuades and enables us to answer the call. The external call is where the sower sows the seed. 
The internal call is where the spirit softens the soil so that it can receive the seed, so that the seed of the gospel can take root in the heart and bear the fruit of repentance and faith in Christ. Paul mentions this effectual call again down in verse 30. If you look at verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And one thing I want you to notice is that it's the same group of people referred to throughout the verse. Those whom he predestined for salvation, that same group of people he calls to salvation. And those whom he calls to salvation, those are the people he justifies or declares righteous in his sight. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies after preserving them to the end. So the calling here is an effectual call. There's nobody who's called who's not also justified and glorified. This verse has been called the golden chain of salvation. And each link of the golden chain, predestined, called, justified, glorified, refers to the same group of people. And the chain is unbreakable. Those whom God predestined for salvation, he also calls to salvation effectually. Our shorter catechism says that effectual calling is the work of God's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So before we were converted, we were dead in sin, we were blind in our sin, but then the Spirit convinced us of our sin and misery. He opened our eyes to our sin and misery. We were in the dark, but the Spirit enlightened our minds in the knowledge of Christ. Our wills were hardened, but the Spirit renewed our wills. And he persuaded and enabled us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the external call of the gospel. So if you're a Christian... We thought about this in Sunday school this morning. The reason you're a Christian is not first and foremost because of a choice you made. The reason you're a Christian is first and foremost because of a choice God made in his great mercy. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved. You're a Christian because God called you to himself in salvation. Yes, you answered the phone, but God is the one who called you. And God is the one who enabled you to answer the call. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And speaking of his own purpose, Paul mentions that in our verse also, Romans 8, 28. For those who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't call people randomly. He calls people on purpose. Kids, maybe you've played the game bingo before where you have a card with a bunch of numbers on it and a number is called out and if you have that number on your card you have a little token you can put on the number and you get five in a row and if you get five in a row you get to call bingo maybe you've played this before well the person who calls out the numbers usually has a sort of container full of numbers in our bingo game it's a round container that you spin with a handle and it's quite fun to spin the handle and it's a way to make sure that you're choosing numbers randomly because when you push a little button, a number pops out, and that's the number that you read out. That is not how God calls people to himself in salvation, just randomly choosing a number. He calls us to salvation on purpose. We are called according to his purpose. Verse 828 says, Or Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Later in that chapter, verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We'll come to Romans 9, verse 11 soon. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. We were called by God on purpose, according to his purpose. We were not called because God saw something worthy in us or valuable in us. It's not like the MLB draft where a player gets called by a team because of his skills or his value to that team. No, God called us when we were dead in our trespasses. He called us according to his purpose, for his glory, and for the praise of his glorious grace. We are those who love God. And we are those who are called according to his purpose. And what does Paul say is true of us? In our third phrase, our third main point, he says that all things work together for our good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We are called according to his purpose. And in fact, all things are according to his purpose. Ephesians 1, we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And God works all things together for our good. 
Just like we saw in the previous verses, how the Spirit intercedes for us according to God's plan for us, and therefore God's plan is the plan that unfolds in our lives every day, so God works all things together for our good. All things work together for our good because God causes all things to work together for our good. All things don't work together for our good on their own. This isn't just a sort of vague religious platitude that everything's going to work out in the end. This isn't just the universe sort of balancing everything out somehow. No, this is about God, a personal God, causing all things to work together for our good. This is about God's providence. All things work together for our good because God is preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions by his holy, wise, and powerful providence. Listen to some verses about this. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Isaiah 46 For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Just let your understanding of God, your view of God, expand as I read these verses. Romans eleven thirty six again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. One more in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ's, Christ is God's. God causes all things to work together for our good. Good things and bad things. We may not understand how all of that works, but we know that it's true. Just like we might not understand how our cars work, all those mysterious things under the hood all working together most of the time. But we know that they work together, even though we might not understand it all. Our understanding is not what makes it work together. It, it just works. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. It's mysterious to us, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It is wonderfully true. 
God causes both good things and bad things to work together for our good. Remember Joseph? Like what he said to his brothers at the end of all his sufferings in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. All things work together for good. Notice it doesn't say that all things are good. It says that all things work together for good. So bad things remain bad. We don't have to pretend they're good. But bad things work for our good. As Heidelberg Catechism number 27 puts it, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, Come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. I prepared most of this sermon while I was sick this past week. And it was a great encouragement to me that even my sickness didn't come to me by chance. It came to me by God's fatherly hand. It came to me on purpose. It came to me for my good. It wasn't that God had too much going on, too many balls to juggle, and he just dropped one of them. No, God is almighty, and by his ever-present power, he upholds all things, and nothing can happen except what he's ordained. There are no maverick molecules in the universe, as R.C. Sproul once put it. God controls everything, including the timing and duration of the common cold. I took simple comfort in that. It helped me to trust God in that low-level suffering, to know that he had good purposes for ordaining that in my life. It happened for a reason, for a good reason. The same holds true in high-level suffering. In all things, we can know that God is carrying out his plan for his glory and for our good. Now, what does it mean that all things work together for our good? Well, the good here, in context, doesn't refer to earthly comfort, but conformity to Christ. We see that in verse 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the good of verse 28 is conformity to Christ in verse 29. The good that God produces in our lives is that he makes us more like Jesus. And that's good. 
All things work together for good doesn't mean you're going to live the good life. It doesn't mean you're going to live your best life now. It doesn't mean your circumstances are always going to be good. But it does mean all your circumstances will work for your spiritual good and your eternal good. Matthew Henry wrote, either directly or indirectly, every providence has a tendency to the spiritual good of those that love God, breaking them off from sin. That's a good thing. Bringing them nearer to God, also good. Weaning them from the world, good. Fitting them for heaven, very good. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't leave anything on the cutting floor. He uses all things for our good in Christ. One thread might be good and one thread might be bad, but he weaves them together into something good, into a beautiful tapestry of grace and glory. Some providences are frowning providences. Some are smiling providences. But behind both is a smiling face. The kind and loving and wise and gracious face of our Heavenly Father. Some providences are frowning providences and some are smiling providences, but they're all providences. They're all purposeful. They all work together for our good. Well, let me mention a few additional things by way of application as we draw to a close this morning. Four things briefly. Number one, believe. Believe this truth. Believe this promise from God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And I say that because even though we, we may already believe this truth on paper... Even though we may circle the right answer on a theology exam, which is good, we don't always believe this truth in practice, do we? In the rough and tumble of daily life, it's hard. Sometimes we simply forget this truth, or it's just not on our radar. Other times we are prone to listen to the lies of the evil one. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed and overcome with pain or grief, or despair. But it's in those times that this truth is meant to anchor us. It's in those times that this promise is meant to be a solid rock we can stand on. It's in those times that this promise is like a vast root system under our feet, helping us to keep standing in the storm. God works all things together for our good in Christ. So let me just encourage you, believe this truth. Believe this promise. Lash your heart to it. Latch on to it by faith and don't ever let it go. Number two, pray. Pray that God would work all things for your good. Just because God promises it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for it. 
In fact, it's because God promises it that we should pray for it. So whatever's going on in your life, pray that God would use it for your good. That's what I prayed when I was sick during my low-level suffering. I trust that he answered those prayers and he will answer yours as well through Christ. Pray at the beginning of the day that God would use all that happens that day for your good. Pray at the end of the day that God would take all that did happen and use it to make you more like Christ. Pray in good times as well as in bad times that God would use it all to conform you more into the image of his son. Sometimes it's hard to know how to pray for others who are suffering. You want to help, you want to pray, you're not sure what to say, you're not sure what to pray. Well, we can pray this verse for each other, that God would work all aspects of our suffering for our spiritual and eternal good. Number three, examine Examine yourself. Ask yourself what God might be doing in you through this particular circumstance. Is there anything he might be working to add to my life? Is there anything he might be working to subtract from my life? What sins can this circumstance help me put to death? What graces can this situation help me develop and enlarge with God's help? Let me encourage you not to get stuck asking why. Why is God allowing this? Instead, ask what. What might God be doing in me through this? What might he be doing to use this to draw me closer to himself and to make me more like Jesus Christ? If he works all things together for my good, what specific good might he be working in me through this thing, through my present circumstances? Turn this verse into a magnifying glass and examine yourself. See what parts of your character look the least like Jesus and ask God to change you by his grace and power. And finally, number four, trust. Believe, pray, examine, trust. Trust God in your present circumstances. He knows what he's doing. As we've thought about together before, the story he's written is perfect and cannot be improved upon. Could, could it be improved upon? Is it possible for us to improve upon the decrees of God? The story he's written is perfect. It cannot be improved upon. Like all good stories, it has some bad guys in it. Some hard things happen and evil is evil. But evil doesn't win in the end. Good wins in the end. God wins in the end. And when we look back over the whole story one day, we will see how everything came together. We will see how all the puzzle pieces fit perfectly together. 
we'll see how all things did, in fact, work together for our good. We can't see it now. We don't know how it all works, but we know that it's true because the Bible tells us so. We know it's true because we know the author. We know the one who wrote the story, and we know he's good and wise and trustworthy. All things work together for our good, ultimately because God himself is good. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you for this wonderful verse, this wonderful truth that you work all things together for our good in Christ. We thank you that by your grace alone, we are those who love you, though we do pray that you would help us to love you more. We thank you for calling us according to your purpose. And we thank you that no matter what comes our way this week, whether health or sickness, whatever our lot, we can trust you for your grace. It is well with our soul because you will work everything for our good. Help us to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a minute to think and pray about what we've heard, and then we will sing together.